Have you ever wondered what it's like to be an international admissions recruiter for a university? Well, in today's episode, you're going to find out. Welcome to the Inside Study Abroad podcast. I'm your host, Brooke Roberts. In this show, we explore the world of international education and meaningful travel with some fascinating guests, a little friendly debate, and a whole lot of practical advice. Let's get going. Welcome back to the Inside Study Abroad podcast, where we're all about helping you launch and level up your career in international education and meaningful travel. And today we're talking all about international admissions. And I brought on my friend, someone I've actually traveled with, watched her (laughs) in action doing international admissions work, the amazing Rebecca Hansen. She's the assistant director of international admissions at Northern Kentucky University. Rebecca, what's up? How you doing, girl? (laughs) Thank you for that introduction. Um, I'm doing pretty good. I'm really excited to be chatting with you today. Well, welcome to the show. I always like to share a little like fun facts about people before we dive in. And one of the one things I love about our our relationship, our friendship over the years is the fact that we met in India. You were doing a recruitment trip with a, with a company there. And I was on that trip also doing a little bit of consulting and a contract work for Girish at Gen uh-huh. Next. And then I, I want to say it was like two years later, three years later, something like that. Yeah. We met up again in Thailand where I was doing my digital nomad thing. And you were there doing some, was it Thailand? Was it Vietnam? Wait. No, it was Thailand. I okay, remember. Was, yeah. 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 And, uh, but, and, and then the fun fact about all of that is like, I don't believe you and I have ever been in the same room inside the United States. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> <laughs> we only talk to each other in India or uh, South Asia. Yes. Uh, so, <laughs> so welcome to the show. I'm really excited for you to share all of your wisdom, wisdom and insights and experience about international admissions. We haven't really talked about that too much on the show. So I know there's a lot of people curious about this as a career path. And, um, and, and honestly, I think a lot of people will just be curious, like what has the world, the international admissions world kind of looked like over the past 15 months. So we're going to get into all of that. But before we do, I always like to start with you sharing with everyone, what is your international education story? So how did you start basically doing the work that you do today? Yeah, um, (laughs) that's a kind of weirdly complicated question. Um, That's actually one of my favorite questions to ask random recruiters when we're stuck in an airport together because our flight is delayed because everyone's story is just so weird and diverse, you know? Um, So when I was in uh, my undergrad, I was studying at Westminster College uh, in Salt Lake City, Utah. And I was working at a pizza place and hated my job. So while walking around campus, I applied for the first job that grabbed my attention, which was an admissions caller for a student worker. And I thought, oh, I'll talk to anybody. Sure, I'll I'll apply for that job. Um, So I did. You know me well, so um, to hear that I was an overachiever and dressed to the nines and had a very well polished resume and you know was was really excited to go in there, um, it shouldn't surprise you. Um, so I ended up getting called back for a second interview and told that I was overqualified and asked if I wanted to be the international ad, uh, admissions advisor's student assistant instead. Um, what caught their eye, uh, especially was the fact that I had put fluent in Brazilian Portuguese on there because I'm, I'm Brazilian American. And so just that little thing kind of flagged them and told them, oh yeah, she might be interested in this. 
Oh, that's awesome. So, yeah. Just I forgot kind of, about the Brazil connection for you. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. After that, I ended up ditching my career in music and um, the rest is history. Yeah. That's awesome. And so what happened? So you were doing the student worker role, mm -hmm. but then um, how did that translate into now, you know, your you know, you have a career in this field, but how did you get that first full-time job? Yes. And how did that, how did your career evolve from there? Um, because obviously I'm very well-versed in the study abroad space for sure. Mm -hmm. And, and, and learning more about international students and scholar services side of that career track, but how does that work in the international missions world? Well, international admissions is highly relational. So I, when I started, it was uh, January of 2010 that I started, and um, I was supposed to report to the uh, the international admissions recruiter, but that person had quit just a couple of weeks before they hired me, and so they were in the middle of a search for that person. Um, so then I would have reported to the director of admissions, but they were also in a national search for that position. So then the next person that I would be reporting to as a student worker was actually the VP of Enrollment Management, Joel Bauman, who is still a mentor. Um, and so I didn't know that he was a VP or what a VP meant. I just knew that he was that guy that I reported to and would just say, hey, I'm here. What do you want me to do today? Right. Um, and so I ended up doing everything under the sun because there was no ad admissions recruiter. I had to be very much doing everything by myself. He, he couldn't be very hands-on because he was the freaking VP. Um, and at, uh, by the time, I think about eight months later that they were finally able to have a, um, a recruiter in place after hiring someone and then she left and then hiring a second person. It was crazy. Um, and then having a new director, finally, um, I had, I guess I had impressed him enough that by the time I graduated from college, he reached out to me and asked if I wanted to work for him at Stetson University in Florida, where he was the VP. So he oh. ended up coaching me as soon as I graduated. So, um, I, I was actually, uh, my undergrad is in vocal performance and I had gotten admitted to University of Utah for a master's in vocal performance. And uh, so I had to make that decision, you know, do I want to be an opera singer or do I want to travel the world, which both sound like fantasy made up careers. Right. Um, so <laughs> I chose travel the world and I have zero regrets. I love that. I love that story. I, there's so many lessons there. I think um, a little homage to Sam Cooper, who also hosts the content of the podcast with me sometimes. Uh, she always says to always leave sugar in your tracks. And uh, I love that lesson. I don't know that I've always been the best at it because, <laughs> but I love, but you are like the, the example, the cream to the cream uh, example of this, of like, clearly you one did an excellent job in your role. So that's number one. It's like, do good work and people are going to notice you, but to also manage those relationships, like be intentional and about cultivating a good professional collegial relationship with you, yep. because you never know where that person is going to end up. And in your case, you ended up at a whole totally different institution. And they were like, who would I want to be on my dream team here? And you were one of those people and you just never know when those things are going to come up. And so I think that's a really good lesson for anybody listening out there that you know, 
you, you never know where these opportunities are going to come from. So you need to treat mm-hmm. everyone you meet as if, you know, this could be a lifelong, um, collegial friendship and opportunities, both going both directions could evolve, um, from your career growing, but also from their career growing in different ways. So I, I really love that. I think there's probably people out there right now being like, I kind of hate her. She just got off the <laughs> job without having to apply for anything. Um, I've been told that before. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, and kind of related to that, I'd love to know sort of your understanding and lay of the land of international admissions. Is it a quite, com- like, I know everything in international ed is very competitive, especially right now, but let's say pre-COVID was, were those types of roles hyper-competitive? Was it master's required or master's preferred, which is often what we see in sort of the traditional international ed space, um, or I guess like study abroad, international students and scholars world. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what are some of those um, criteria or considerations somebody should think about? So for an entry-level recruiter, I mean, it, it kind of runs the gamut. Um, really, they're looking for somebody with some kind of international connection or experience. For me, it was my Brazilian upbringing and fluency in Portuguese that was something that stood out. Um, uh, I'll, oftentimes, they'll want somebody who has some kind of processing or admissions experience. It's considered a bonus. Um, travel experience is always a bonus, especially if it's a, a traveling job, because not all admissions recruiters require traveling. There's often armchair recruitment, um, or it could be local travel, uh, visiting local high schools and cultivating the international student market there. So um, really, they, they're looking for that personality um, that can really manage those relationships as well. So being gregarious is a plus, being outgoing is a plus, somebody who can manage those relationships are plus. Mm-hmm. So I would say that it's competitive in that if you don't know somebody, it's going to be difficult to get your foot in the door, mm-hmm. which is not, not the best thing to hear. Um, I know for some people, I, I know though that there are um, always universities, especially this time of year who are um, a, a, a hiring for new people in their international offices. Summer tends to be the time that that happens. So um, with that, really, I, I think if you have that international experience, you're gregarious, you have some admissions experience that um, I wouldn't say you will have no problem, but you will most likely have to move somewhere if you're yeah. wanting to have that kind yeah. of job. Well, and I think too, especially having traveled with you and seeing you and a whole crew of recruiters from various institutions do their magic. I would say another key skill set is the ability to be a dynamic presenter um, of information and being able to sort of pull out um, interesting elements about an institution and and the benefits and and value that an institution brings that's going to get a student to listen to that presentation, but then also be curious enough to then show up your table afterwards Mm -hmm. where they can do the little mini fair situation. Um, I think that that was something that very much showed. And then the difference that uh, that was very um, apparent between all the admissions recruiters I got to witness, I'm sure you've seen hundreds, dozens more, <laughs> and you've been Thank like, you. wow, how are you doing this? Uh, so yeah. I, th- I think that would be another great, great skill set. I'm sure somebody's out there um, listening and we're going to move on from just like how to get a job in admissions because it's not mm-hmm. what this is necessarily about. But uh, <laughs> how do you think it, have you met or do you have colleagues in international admissions and recruitment that 
are more introverted, who aren't over the top in terms of their personality style and, and have they found success? So one, do they exist? And two, um, have they found success? And what do you think that the asset is that they bring to the table? Absolutely. Um, no, I think that's a good question. Not everybody can uh, have pink hair and be an opera singer, I guess, you know, <laughs> <laughs> to be a performer um, at heart. Yeah. Right, right, right. Um, I always joke with my team that, um, and this is a true story that I was once cast as a court jester in something that I didn't even audition for. So nice. that's, you know, that's me in a nutshell. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I mentioned when I was at Westminster that they had to hire twice to find the international admissions recruiter who would be there and who they ended up hiring was, uh, Leanna Kowalis, who is, um, still also a, a mentor to this day. Uh, Westminster did a lot for me, really. <laughs> so shout out to them. Yeah, shout out Westminster. Uh, but Leanna is, um, she, and I have had many conversations about this, that she's a, a bit more of an introvert. And I do see several of my colleagues who would describe themselves as professional extroverts, meaning that they know how to turn it on when they have to. They um, know how to have those conversations. Um, there's there are different types of, of recruitments. There certainly there's the kind of recruitment um, that I am often doing with groups where I go in front of a room of a uh, uh, hundred boys in Mumbai and talk to them about getting to go to Kentucky and somehow making it exciting. Um, <laughs> and then there are uh, people who do, do the approach more of relationship management with agents and partners on the ground or with high school counselors. They do more one-on-one -on -one meetings. Um, they can certainly do those presentations and are certainly very adept at it, um, but they play to their strengths, which is more about strategy, more about um, finding those one-on-one those -on -one relationships that they can maximize to really do their job well. I love that. I love that. So if you're listening right now, you have to know what your strengths are. And then map that to the various elements of what international admissions and recruitment is all about and the, the key strategies, tactics, tasks that people are going to be called upon to do in those in that role and seeing where you can really be like, I can shine in these areas. And then you can learn and, and improve in other areas that may not be your strongest suit. So bringing this all back, let's start with what is international admissions and recruitment? Should have led with that, but I just got on a tangent. Um, so what is it that you actually do in international admission recruitment? This is for anybody who's like super new and they're like, what? I thought I could only be a study abroad advisor. What is this all about? What is international admissions and recruitment? Yes. So um, as a recruiter, you are um, boots on the ground, either virtually or in person and convincing students to actually apply to your university. Um, so I represent Northern Kentucky University now. Previously, I've, I've represented a couple of other institutions. Um, I often travel with a, a lot of other people who do the same thing, but essentially we are out um, talking to as many students as possible, finding students who are a great fit for our institution and convincing them to apply. Um, I manage a team of admissions professionals. And so their job is to help to um, process the application materials, help students who actually do apply, help them to complete their application, admit them. Uh, we manage the scholarshiping in my office and do everything to get them from prospect or inquiry, meaning from the, the stage where they are first curious and hearing about our university all the way to that first day of orientation when they arrive on campus. 
That's great. Thank you. That was a perfect summary. Um, <laughs> so like looking back then at international admissions as part of a larger internationalization strategy that an institution might have or mission, vision, goals, um, values, where does international admissions fit in sort of that larger internationalization, uh, global education sort of value structure that a university might have? Why do we do it, I guess is the point. Oh my gosh, there are about 20 different layers to get there. So I guess- Well, don't spoil it because she's going to be teaching uh, the International Admissions and Recruitment Lab coming up very soon, which we'll talk about later in the episode. Yes. But you know, what are, you know, does the top line, like what does international student recruitment do for an institution? Why is it valuable? So um, on the economic scale, there was actually a recent study that came out that showed that at major public universities um, for every international student enrolled, um, it actually helped to create more seats for domestic students and uh, for every international student graduated, it actually increased a domestic student's um, graduation rate by I think, uh, I can't remember the percentage point, I won't quote anything, but it actually does help to um, increase uh, graduation rates and enrollment rates and creates more seats for those students because you're bringing in tuition revenue. Um, it also helps to bring a boon to the economy. International students are bringing literally billions with a B dollars into the US economy. They help to support jobs, not just like mine, but local restaurants that are popping up because all of a sudden there are a bunch of Nepali students like in our area. So you see more Nepali restaurants. There are um, more housing is needed around the area because there are more students who are coming, who are wanting to live, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So um, that's one. Um, and then the other one that I will mention as well is, is just it, it brings a higher quality experience for everybody when you're getting to I mean, we're in a global world, even if you never get to travel. And I think it's it's fewer than 50% of Americans even get a US passport. And most of those who get a US passport are only going to, to somewhere else in the North American continent. So if you do want to expand your horizons while you are getting your education, getting to have someone from Pakistan in your class or talk to students from Saudi Arabia or Vietnam and getting to hear their perspective Perspectives is something that really enriches your education, increases the value of your degree. Yes, yes. <laughs> Love it all. Love it all. That's awesome. Yes. So you're going to go deeper into that inside the lab. I just yeah. want to let everybody know this is not, we're not relitigating that whole thing here. But um, I think that was a great introduction of like why international student recruitment, international students um, are such a valuable asset, both from an economic point of view, but just an asset from an intercultural learning, you know, diversity of perspectives, experiences on campus, et cetera. Um, yes, I'm, I'm with you on it. Let's do it. So let's talk about the last 15 months. I don't know. Anything change in your world? Um, let's let's talk about your pandemic story because I feel like we're gonna have to start sharing this even more on the podcast um, because I think all of us have one, especially as it relates to our work in international ed because this obviously this arena was hit so massively hard by by the pandemic. So what what was going on in your world um, in February March last year and how did it? impact the work that you were doing at that stage and, and maybe just give us a hint of like what's going on in international admissions typically around the february march time frame yeah so um that uh, actually i left mid-february and was supposed to come back march 
18th after a uh, three and a half week trip to the Middle East and South Asia. Um, and that's the time of year where really you're, um, you're, you're doing a, a lot of uh, uh, work with students who have been admitted and convincing them to, uh, to really confirm that they're going to enroll at your university. So I was doing a few uh, admitted student receptions abroad. I was meeting one-on-one -on -one with admitted students and their parents and going over their scholarship packages and answering any questions that they had. Still visiting high schools and touching up with uh, with juniors so that you know they're, they're rising seniors, letting them know about NKU and our deadlines as well. So kind of working the, the cycle for the next year as well. So really it's about closing this class and opening the next class. It's mm -hmm. a um, really February to July is that transitional period. So um, that's what I was doing. I um, spent time in Ethiopia. I was in uh, Qatar. Uh, I then went to India for a couple of days. And all of a sudden when I entered India, there was a bit of a, of a kerfuffle. I had, I had been in, I was in UAE before that. And um, the day that I landed, all of a sudden everyone wrote to me and said, I am so sorry, all but two of my appointments for like a three day period were just canceled because of COVID. I'm like, oh my gosh, is this actually like a serious thing? What's going yeah. on? Yeah. Um, and so I get to Ahmedabad, India and a lot of my appointments were canceled there too. And I actually had a heck of a time getting into the country at all and was just so confused. And then when I finally land in Nepal, um, I was there to do an admitted student reception with one of my current Nepali students. She, she came over, she's uh, my marketing assistant. And so we, because Nepal is one of our uh, largest recruitment areas. And so we were doing a huge reception. That's the last big event that I've done. We had, I think almost 40 students in attendance and it was a big deal. It was on March 11th. Um, yeah. yeah. And um, then the next day uh, we canceled the rest of the trip and tried three times to get out of the country before we were finally able to actually board a flight to get out. So, um, mm -hmm within 24 hours of me leaving Nepal shut down entirely. And I don't think they've had any international flights since. So I almost got stuck in Nepal and I'm very thankful I didn't. Yeah. That'd be a long time to be away from the fam yes. in Nepal. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And so when you got back, um, let's take it to that next stage. Like you're finally back in the office after all the kerfuffle, which by the way, is like my favorite word. I try to use it every day. <laughs> so thank you for bringing that to the podcast. Um, so, uh, what happened? What, what was the, the, what did the war room, so to speak, look like once you got back to campus with your colleagues and peers, especially like, I, I know your role right now is housed within international students and scholar services as well. What, what, what was the game plan or what were y'all doing? We're just pulling your hair out going, I don't know what to do. Uh, yes, uh, it was a bit of that. I, so I returned and I was, um, I had to quarantine myself oh, and, right. um, my, my husband's boss had, uh, just tested positive for COVID. So he picked me up from the airport. We immediately went to, um, into quarantine. And then we found out the day after we went into quarantine that his boss had tested positive and my husband had been in contact with him. So Mitch and I were in a uh, quarantine for two days straight and, uh, by the time I was done with quarantine, our campus was closed entirely. So I didn't get to see my office for a year, which mm -hmm. was so bizarre. Yeah. Um, and so really it was just a bunch of emails and everyone trying to figure out what was going on with us, but also 
working with housing to make sure our international students were taken care of, working with students who were uh, sponsored by their governments. Uh, so we had uh, Jordanian students, Qatari uh, students from Saudi Arabia. And so students in those countries, because they were sponsored by governmental scholarships, were being recalled back to their country. So working with them and there were new policies coming out for immigration as to F1 visa requirements and what could and couldn't pass. And so we're having to read that, digest it, and then disseminate it in a way that students will actually understand because I mean immigration policy is already gobbledygook to begin with mm -hmm. but then trying to explain to someone who who you know it's not their day-to-day -day what exactly that means is is a nightmare in and of itself so it mm -hmm. was a lot of texting um a lot of telling students to breathe um and honestly the thing I'm the most thankful for is that not only does my team all care for the students, but also we have cultivated relationships across our campus with people who deeply care for our students as well. Mm -hmm. So with that, it was it, it wasn't easy, but it was manageable because mm -hmm. everybody was on the same page. Yeah, that's wow. That sounds just overwhelming <laughs> and probably I mean, obviously for the student, I just feel so much for the students, um, domestic and international uh, on across the board. I mean, it's just obviously a horrible situation, but I think I was talking to, um, Jason Kinnear on a recent episode and we we're talking about the outbound student experience of just like students who'd been waiting for that perfect semester to be able to study abroad. And now they're either one being recalled or just completely canceled. And, and it kept being moved and moved and moved. And then half are graduated and they're going, I never got to have that dream experience. So I can only imagine like also from the international student side of being like, is this going to derail? me even getting a degree um and am i gonna have to go home yet i can't go home because the borders are you know all the shenanigans and kerfuffle around <laughs> that um is just heartbreaking um but it sounds like you guys just had um a great response and and that caring that leading with caring first and as opposed to being like this is the policy get out you know or whatever well, you had to we do got very flexible we, yes. we got very flexible very fast that's that's one I think the major lesson that we learned from this um, in our office but especially the university is just how nimble we can be in a crisis mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I love to hear that so so then once you got to the initial months of just like putting out fires and just trying to like keep everybody's head above water what what did then at what point did you kind of move into like, okay, this is kind of the new normal. We still have to do admissions. We still have to do recruitment in some capacity, even if we aren't back in the office or we're not getting on planes, how did that shift? Um, and when did that kind of shift where you're like, well, I got to do my job now. So I didn't really get a chance to think much about it because in July there were, um, some changes to CVIS regulations for students, which I could talk about for an hour in and of itself. Yeah, we'll, we'll save that. <laughs> <laughs> that um, I, I aged a year in a week. Um, so just basically dealing with everything. It wasn't until end of July, beginning of August that I, I was finally able to think, shoot, I'm going to actually have to figure out how to do my job. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we've, we've talked a little bit earlier about that, that relationship management and, mm -hmm. and networking. And for me, this, this last year has proven how important those relationships are. 
So um, the first thing that we really looked at doing was making sure that we accepted uh, a variety of ways for students to submit requirements for their application if they still were considering coming because we weren't sure when they would be able to actually get to campus. Mm -hmm. um, it was actually a huge surprise when in January we welcomed 40 new students to our campus. Somehow uh, we had, I mean, two, two of our Nepali students actually um, took a flight to the border of Nepal and drove past the, the border into India, then flew to the nearest US embassy. They each interviewed twice, were able to get their visa, flew from India to the United States and were able to join us in January. So, I mean, these students are going through so Oh, much. wow. And that's yeah. like, wow. And I would say too, if you're new to international admissions, like that is a crazy, obviously, like out of this world story, but also knowing too that like, that's often, like sometimes that, happens even in a non-COVID time, like students are having to jump through so many hoops and over so many hurdles just to make this possible. Um, and I think that's, I mean, I'm not, I'm preaching to the choir at this point because nobody outside of international ed listens to this podcast. Everybody's just like, yeah, we know, we know. But I just feel like I want all the other people who don't know to be like, you know, it's still really hard, you know, to make that happen um, outside of COVID times, yeah. let alone now, you know, so wow, that is crazy. Well, good for them. Look at that. Oh, ingenuity and gumption and hire them somebody hire them That's amazing. <laughs> um, um so yeah so um we we were able to to still welcome students on the campus but we had to find ways to to help them to complete their um, uh, their applications in ways that COVID would allow. So we had to deal with policies first. Um, I reached out to all of my, my contacts. So I have different recruitment partners in different countries. So I'm reaching out to them, asking them, okay, what are, what are you doing? How can we partner? How can we serve the students that are in your specific area? And so it was really tailoring our digital efforts to the different countries where we were really focused on. We had a couple partners who are more global, um, bringing back to Girish from Gen Next is one partner that we have. And so we were able to, um, to work with them on a series of virtual events as well. So it's, mm -hmm. um, that was definitely our, our first semester was really focused on those virtual events. But the downside was that this uh, Zoom fatigue that we all hear about now, mm -hmm. students were getting uh, virtual fair fatigue. And I think as professionals, I know I was as well. Yeah. Um, so in the spring, it was a lot more about, uh, I mean, as I had said before, I, it was talking to those admitted students and really getting them to confirm. And so that's how I've been spending uh, my spring is really that one-on-one -on -one contact and the the pivot for me has been depending a lot more on my current students. I have about 15 students who are global ambassadors and they are current students who are just honestly badasses. They're always working so hard. The, some of them are students who were already reaching out to students and saying, oh, hey, ma'am, there's a kid from my high school who wants to apply and I already helped him with this and he's, here's his SAT score. And he, I mean, they were already doing this kind yeah. of stuff. I just wanted to give them something they could actually put on their resumes. Yeah. So uh, they have been helping me a lot. And I think in this next year, as we're slowly transitioning out, I'm going to continue to depend on them because students don't want to hear from me all the time. They want to hear from a, a current kid who actually knows what they're going through. Yeah, I know. At this point, it's like, we're so cute and young, but no, we're just old ladies to them at this yeah. point. <laughs> yeah. The authority figure, if you will. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, 
Well, I think that's great. And you've already kind of like mentioned this, but now, you know, we're in, you know, mid 2021 at the time of recording this, um, how do you see the next academic year or the next, you know, uh, cycle for admissions, um, being different or do you see it, is it going to be, do you have a big trip plan and you're back to normal? Like what does international admissions look like? Do you think over the next academic term year? I, oh my gosh, I don't know. And that's something I've had to get used to saying and yeah. being okay with not knowing. Um, I want to travel. Uh, my university announced a couple of weeks ago that as of July 1, the uh, the pause on international or on travel in general for the university has been lifted. So I am now allowed to travel, but that also means that I have to find countries where I can actually enter the country. Um, so I am starting to think about which areas I might be able to travel to this fall. I'm itching to leave. Um, I still have three empty pages in my passport that I need to stamp. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, and really also a lot of the, a lot of what's been going on this last year has been students deferring from fall to spring and then from spring to the next fall. And so that's drying up. I, I need to inject more prospects into my funnel. I need to uh, be meeting with more students. And I, I think the students need it too. They, mm -hmm. I, I have, um, uh, I, I have so many meetings every single week with uh, students who have never even been to my campus just on Zoom, just to be able to talk to somebody face-to-face, -face, as, as much face-to-face -face as you can. And I think mm -hmm. that they're desperate to, to have that experience as well. So I think, I'm hoping that by spring, it'll be somewhat back to normal. Mm -hmm. I, I'm hoping, um, cautiously optimistic that it will be. Do you feel, this is like a surprise question. It just came to mind when you uh, were chatting about that, but like even looking further out um, for sort of like future casting of um, what international ed is going to look like. I mean, I have a prediction that in a year, like study abroad is going to be booming uh, because I think a lot of young people who had thought maybe they might are like, yeah, I absolutely have to now because everybody's so sick of looking at their own four walls mm -hmm. and two, all the young people who maybe were deferred, they're going to also be like, I got to go. Um, and everybody and their mother, even outside of academia is like, I got to go. I got to be out in the world. I can't do this anymore. How do you feel it's going to look for international admissions? Do you think there's going to be a big an even bigger boom, like globally of young people wanting to earn their degree abroad? Do you feel like there's going to be more or less wanting to come to the United States? Like you don't have to put a wager on it or anything, but I'm just curious what you're thinking will be the, or what the conversation is in international admissions around this. Yeah. I think honestly, I'm, I'm hoping that a lot more students are wanting to come to the U S in general. Um, I know that, uh, a lot of students were hesitant in the past because of the, well, the, the political climate in the United States wasn't necessarily friendly toward the, the foreigner. Um, and so I know that a lot of students, we, we had seen a dip in that. And so um, 
what we're seeing, I've seen some people refer to it as the Biden effect um, a lot. There is a lot more interest in the United States. So I am hoping that the combination of, like you said, people just itching to get out and realizing that there's no time like the president present. And, and if I want to uh, do something, I have to do it now. I'm, I'm hoping that a combination of that and uh, that quote unquote Biden effect will lead to more interest in the mm -hmm. United States from foreign nationals. Um, I, yeah, I, I think that we will see an increase in international students. I certainly hope at my institution, we yeah. will, we're working really <laughs> hard for that. to Northern Kentucky. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, I think that's a great question. Yeah. No, thank you. Well, I, I think it's a great answer and it, I'm excited to see how this all shakes out. I mean, I hope we're both absolutely correct, um, obviously. Um, but I think it's, it's right now, I think everybody's kind of feeling like, most people I've talked to kind of feel that like, yes, that is going to happen, but we're still, it's like, we're still just not quite there yet where it's just yeah. all open, like free for all, like let's go. And I think once that truly does happen, which I think it's going to be slower than maybe a lot of us anticipated, you know, fall 2022, I think we'll probably be like the biggest study abroad semester of all time or <laughs> maybe I summer 2022. So. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for being on the show and sharing all your insights and your stories, especially, I mean, I think a lot of people are going to relate and hear a lot that they, they see in themselves and their own work and in international ed and what you experienced through COVID, but let's shift gears a little bit and talk about the international admissions and recruitment lab that you are um, going to be the instructor for. We're going to be teaching that live July 6th. So if you're listening to this and you want to get in on that, just go to insidestudyabroad.com slash labs. All the information will be there for you to sign up and get involved. What's one thing you're most excited about teaching? Because you're going to be teaching a whole litany, like basically how to be an international admissions and recruiter from the ground up mm -hmm. and everything that goes into that. But what's one thing that you're like, I'm really excited to talk about this one. <laughs> well, I mean, you can't give it all away, but yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I honestly, I'm, I'm excited to talk about ethical approaches to international student recruitment. Um, yes. I know you and I had a great chat about this recently, just, you know, what is your personal, why, why are you doing this? And and really how to make sure that what you're doing is in the best interest of the student. So mm -hmm. that's that's a conversation that I'm always having on my campus. I'm having with colleagues uh, who do what I do at different institutions around the US or even in other countries. And so that's um, always something that I'm, I'm interested in talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I love that you brought that up. You, like you said, it's very relational, like, like our field is in general. And, um, when you bring humans into any equation, there's going to be some shady, shady folks out there. Oh, yeah. Um, and so it is in, and, and shady organizations that may not have an ethical or best interest motivation for what they do. And so how do you discern that? How do you vet those, those people, those organizations, those families, those partners, anybody that you feel like, okay, is this on the up and up? Um, and, and making sure that you're giving the student the best chance to be successful and um, get access to, to these experiences that we hope we can give everybody, you know, that's our, you know, if we get to the woo woo altruistic outcomes of international ed, we want everybody to have these meaningful intercultural experiences. And so we had a really great conversation about this. I won't let, I won't go into all of it right now, but that was really fun. And so I, I think uh, that's going to be a really great part of the teaching. And that's just one part of one module. There's going to be five modules based 
basically by the end of this lab, you'll be able to figure out how to define and, and create your international admissions and recruitment strategy. If you were hit the ground running on day one in that role, what would that even look like? How do you make those decisions? What do you need to consider when making those things and on different approaches and strategies to recruitment and then managing the whole cycle and the process? And what does that cycle even look like? So I'm really excited for it. Before we go though, the last thing I would want you to share, what are some myths that people might have or believe about international admissions and recruitment that you kind of want to debunk right now before they even join the lab or before they even go explore this as a career path? What are some myths people might believe? I know when I first started at Stetson, some of my colleagues assumed that my job was a vacation. Um, mm. That is not the case. Um, I, I uh, actually, I was, I shared this as an example. I went to China, I think, seven or eight times before I ever got to see the Great Wall, um, India six times before I got to see the Taj. Uh, so it, I um, have been to several countries where all I saw was the airport, the hotel, the high schools I visited back to the airport and leave. Mm -hmm. So um, I've been to Costa Rica, but if you ask me anything about it, all I can tell you is what hotel I stayed at. So um, it's, it's not that glamorous, not to say that it's not fun. It's a blast. I love what I do, but it's definitely not a vacation. Right. Um, you don't necessarily get to go where you want, I think is, is another one too. Um, when I first started in my career, I got to go to Latin America primarily because that was my connection. I'm a Latina. I got to go visit. I saw my family all the time in Brazil. Um, but now at my institution, my role has changed drastically and I'm primarily traveling to South Asia and the Middle East. And that's mm -hmm. just where the plan has taken me. I don't get to choose that. That That's just what makes the most sense strategically. Yeah. It's um, not like you're going, then, hmm, I'd really love to go to Oktoberfest. So better do a recruitment trip to, uh, to Germany. Right. You know, it's like, no, that's not how that works. Oh, I, <laughs> I wish I've still never even, I've never been to France or Germany. No, I haven't been to, to most of Europe. I have not gotten to explore, but boy, howdy, have I been to India so many times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the last thing I wanted to say was that um, some people assume that the job is travel, travel, travel all of the time. I know recruiters who travel two or three weeks a year, and I know recruiters who travel about eight months out of the year. So mm -hmm. there's no one size fits all recruiter. So inside the lab, she's also going to be talking a little bit too about how to think about this as a career path, if you want to land a job, if you want to be exploring this as a career path, some resources and strategies around that specifically as well. So if this sounds exciting to you, definitely go to insidestudyabroad.com slash labs, L-A-B-S, to learn more about all of our labs, including this one. And you'll get to learn more from Rebecca and all her wisdom. And thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I can't wait. So if you guys want to connect with Rebecca, I'll have her LinkedIn profile um, linked in the show notes. And until next time, we'll see you around the web. All right. Bye for now.